0: Welcome, welcome, you're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark, I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got a real cool guest sitting on the other side of our Zoom, we've got 40-year-old virgin playing in the background. This is the fucking weirdest, funniest scene, but it's not funny, but it's kind of funny, but it's just immature and I love it. <laughs>
1: I'm pretty sure that's why you like majority of the movies that we end up putting on in the background. It's, the, while we it's, it's like the <laughs> opening credits
0: when Steve Carell wakes up with like a hard on and he's walking through his apartment and he's trying to take a piss with a hard on. It's pretty fucking hilarious.
1: Oh boy, we're off to a good start on this Monday morning. Hey everyone, it's Amanda. More humor. We've got Robert on the other side of our Zoom. He's an RMT. And what's our time he difference? Does a lot of things, what's right? our time difference, Robert? Three hours, right? Three uh, hours.
2: I think we're three hours.
1: Okay, so it's bright and early there for him. Uh, it's eleven. 11- Good in the morning, us. man. <laughs> is that
2: normally what you look like in
1: the morning?
0: You just wake up and you're like, "I'm ready for the day." This, this is it.
2: This is you know. It takes hours to get my hair to look this good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Have you had breakfast yet?
2: Uh, I I actually only eat about one to one and a half meals a day, so breakfast for me will probably be about um, noon one o'clock, just before patients.
0: Is that is that a planned meal or is just whatever 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 you feel like around that uh, one o'clock hour?
2: Um, yeah, usually it's whatever I feel like, but usually it's it's something that's you know healthy. Nice. Right? I
0: mean, at yeah. least you're better than me. I do the one meal, and my one meal is typically like dinner. And it's, it's, I'd never have a concern whether it's healthy or not. It's just about calories in at that point.
2: (laughs) Well, this, this is, this was sort of a thing that was sort of strategic, but was also sort of forced upon me. Um, uh, I had a car accident back in November of 2018 and it caught, it caused, um, the whole left side of the chest was crushed and caused a margin and left lung was separated and stuff. So anytime I, anytime I eat any sort of like large massive amounts of food, like a typical normal size plate of food, right. um, it pulls on the areas where the fractures were. So it actually kind of hurts. So uh,
1: yeah. I just
2: try and eat, I just try and eat less so that it, doesn't hurt as much. So
1: well, that makes a lot of sense. Mark just doesn't eat because he doesn't eat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we get started, um, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, Robert, because as Mark said, you do a lot of things. This guy does everything, man. So He's many like things. You're an author. You're Superman. an international instructor, and I think most people listening probably will know who you are. But if you can give um, a history of you know how you got started in this profession and the uh, the evolution to becoming, um, this international educator and author that we all know today.
2: Sure. Uh, so I started practicing back in 94. Uh, I got into massage because I had, um, a previous accident, uh, back in 89 and was, um, going through rehab through, uh, through a chiropractor that was local. He had a registered massage therapist thing with him at the time. um, and I thought that was a very interesting profession that I, uh, I sort of researched. There was, a, a West Coast college massage therapy down in Vancouver. They had a weekend course, um, introductory course and went down. I took the weekend course and absolutely just fell in love with it. Just no turning back, burn the boats. This is the direction I'm going. This is what I meant to do. Um, so yeah, I went up to Canadian college in Ontario. At, uh, it was in Sutton at the time, right. uh, did their did their condensed course. So it was 22, 2400 hours in 18 months. So basically it was just, you know, start, sprint, vomit, and, <laughs> you know, graduate.
0: Why did you decide to, why did you cite Ontario then? To uh, to West
2: Coast College at that time, it was under different ownership and they were only taking in um, one class a semester or one class every year or something like that, right. whatever their system was. And they had a two year wait list, oh uh, and I had just gone through and done all my upgrades in order to get into West Coast, so I called Canadian College and they accepted me over the phone. they said, "Be here January first, uh you're doing the eighteen month condensed program, get ready and uh and it was intense, man, like it was it was full on intense.
1: The background you had was was there anything that helped you get through that 18 months, or was it like being slapped in the face with everything brand new? Uh
2: it you know, the the introductory package that got email that got mailed out to me, there was no email at the time, it got mailed out to me was this big thick yellow standard legal package. And uh, it had a sticky note in the inside that said, Know this for day one. And it was this uh, this bundle of papers that was Latin medical terminology, suffixes, prefixes, and root words. And I was like, what the hell is this? I don't have any context for any of this stuff. So, so that was the beginning was like, I think about two months beforehand, it was like, know this for day one. Did you actually need to know it for day one? My guess is no. <laughs> no. Yeah, you did. <laughs> really? Oh, oh, yeah, you did. Um, the first week of school. So this is this is back in ninety ninety two, right? Yeah. So the first week of school, Monday to Thursday was Latin medical terminology for the morning class and for the afternoon class. And the instructor said, you know, typically for the school, the passing grade for all your quizzes and all your exams is 70%, except for Friday. Friday is your final exam in Latin medical terminology and the pass is 85. Hmm. Oh, wow. So we had we halved our class in a week. If you didn't get 85, we'll see you next semester. If you didn't take, if you didn't finish the exam in the four hour time lot, Um, we'll see you next semester. It was tough. Like there was no gimme marks. There was no negotiating for anything. If you didn't get it, you failed. See, now
0: that that's also at a time when that could happen, when there wasn't 18,000 massage schools. Like right. Ontario probably has like just over 30 massage schools, and therefore every every potential massage therapy student has their pick of the litter, and every school is kind of grasping for them, come here, come here, come here, come here. This is when man massage schools were few and far between. There was probably CCMH, there was probably Kakawa, and there so was Shuffle and Chan. Like you didn't have much to choose from like that was probably it and 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 darcy lane yes in in, uh in In london London, right yeah
2: there's there's no reason for the education to to drop right there's no reason for one to suppress it uh, in order to undercut another school why not increase your education why not you know put out the best product possible and make that sort of like the Ivy League school that everybody wants to get into. It's, Why don't you just It sounds so logical. It, around?
1: it sounds so logical and I absolutely but, agree with you that that that's what should be happening, well, but what's happening is the exact a, opposite. It's, a it's like it's a numbers yeah, game. Yeah, we want students and if we make it too difficult for students, we're not going to okay, get them. Okay, because because
0: you have to look at it from a couple different standpoints. One, we can make it not so difficult for students. And they're still likely to become a massage therapist at the end of the day, right? And then the other part of it is, well, if we do this whole, I'm going to make the program a little bit more prestigious, you know, we've, we, we have a higher cutoff rate, we accept fewer people, blah, 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 blah. Are you, are you charging more for that? Like, what are you doing here? It's a numbers game. So from a business standpoint, it's all about volume. If I can get the most people in here, then whatever happens, happens at the end of the day. I mean, that's, it's, it's horrible, but that's that's the way I feel most of these private career colleges run, especially the ones that are not centered around massage therapy. Sutherland Chan does nothing other than massage therapy. Canadian College of Massage Therapy at the time did nothing other than massage therapy. Every one of the other schools has a billion other entries entry level medical programs with like PSW and whatever else medical office admin and then massage is like their cherry on top because that's where they can make the most dough. So I think it's a big weird go with private career colleges. What there's
2: no reason to increase the cost. Right? You can keep the cost the exact same but increase your education. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of politics and you know back scratching and stuff that happens along the way and we've seen our fair share of that out in BC. We went from twenty two hundred hours to three thousand hours back in like ninety six ninety seven ninety eight um and then you know that was that was actually demanded upon by a number of key individual therapists that grouped together to um to go to the government and say, "Hey, we need this thing to be three thousand hours. we need to increase our education." But then, you know, a decade later, one hand scratches the other hand and so on and so forth. And those same people then go to the, the uh, government and they resend their, their stats or like, no, we can, we can actually do better with less education because we're all based on competencies now. And I got to tell you, like I, I found my old, um, final comprehensive exam that was written by, uh, a medical doctor who is also a chiropractor who also had a, a his degree in English literature. and I started posting some of these questions to the um the BCRMT Facebook page, and they could not get any of the answers. So you don't have to actually you know charge more. You can just increase the education. There was no need for BC to, to drop its three thousand hours. They could have stayed where they were at.
1: Yeah, they could, because there are people, there's a lot of people who, and I mean, we have, we've had this conversation over and over and over again. There's people who want to get into massage therapy and sort of work at the entry to practice type of places and they want to maintain that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then there are people like yourself, Robert, who wanted to take this profession and run with it and elevate it and, you know, start teaching and writing and helping people to understand the human body and the human experience and all this stuff to the fullest. Whereas then there's the people who say, I just want my license so I can go work in a spa or work in a chiro clinic where the chiro tells me to do, and I don't really have to do any assessing or I don't even have to come up with my own, for my own clinical impression because the chiropractor and the physio is going to instruct me and that's fine so I think there absolutely can still be schools that are offering this more prestigious level of education for those who want to really take this profession the way that Robert did or the way that you did Mark and understand everything I get it
0: but no one larger from, from, from from a school operation standpoint there is no monetary benefit for me doing that there's none there's zero, hence it doesn't happen, right? And we've said this before, you just need some, you need a school to have a firm belief in what they're doing, want the profession to be better, and buck up and make their programs better, and recognize like that's what needs to happen. And well, it's not going to bring any more dough. This but is a that, great there's, segue there's, into, there's the into
1: Robert, because the reason that there are so many people now offering Continuing education and so many people who are like craving continuing education is because a lot of people don't feel like they got what they needed in in school. And I mean, I myself can say that the massage program that I went to, there was definite like definite noticeable gaps in in the knowledge, and thankfully, because I had my university degree, you know, I have the background in kinesiology, I could fill those pieces in. But I couldn't imagine coming in as somebody who had never studied any of this before and understanding everything fully. That's why there's so many gaps and mm-hmm. there's needs mm-hmm. for you guys to teach us for what we this missed. This guy,
0: not me. I, he's he's
2: he's the one.
1: Pretty sure you've made your entire career on continuing ed. But anyway, <laughs> is so, it
2: called the Con Ed Institute? Sure Something is. Like that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs>
1: All right, let's get back to you, Robert. So, you come to school here in Ontario. It's intense. What were you doing before,
0: before massage therapy? Was your thing?
2: Um, trying to figure out what the hell to do. So, to you, honest. Were, you were. To be honest, you were. Were, like, we're
1: back in the 90s. He's, he's a young guy. I don't know, man. <laughs> maybe, maybe he's really old and he just looks good.
2: Yeah. I graduated high school in 89. And then, um, so I've got medicine on one side of the family but i've also got like maybe slash law policing on the other side of the family so i'm kind of like split down the middle so when i when i interview a patient it's more of an interrogation <laughs> 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 right so when we used it back in the day we used to do postural assessment right so you would put the patient on the wall and whatever i used to call it the police lineup <laughs> <laughs> oh my
0: god <sighs> but
2: yeah it was i was trying to figure out what to do in all honesty um my uncle is a chiropractor, graduated back in like late 70s, early 80s. I looked at that, but like I barely got out of high school with like chemistry and my brain hadn't kicked in at all. Mm. So I was um so when I when I saw the massage therapist working in the Cairo's office, that seemed interesting to me because going to university and getting a bachelor of science was just complete. Just that's not going to happen. My brain doesn't even work. Um, but massage therapy, hmm, that's interesting. I should check into that. Little did I know how much work it was going to take in order to get the little RMT behind my name. Mm. Um, you know, it, it was, it was, it was either RMT or I was going to Depot and Regina and doing RCMP in all honesty. So, um, so that's how I, I got into massage therapy and, uh, you know I, like i said i took the weekend course and just that was it burn the boats i'm not going back this is the direction i'm going in and and that was it
0: it's interesting i took that same type of weekend course like many moons later yeah when i had i was dating this girl we were in kinesiology we were finishing kinesiology and she's like, I want to do massage therapy. I got I'm got. i going to this place called CCMH. They, 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 I have to take this course. Will you come with me? And I was like, okay, I'll come with you. No problem. And I took the course and I was like, I'm never going to fucking do this. <laughs> like you got turned on by it. I got turned off by it. I'm like, this is fucking stupid. I'm not doing this. You know, the, <laughs> one thing that, really you know the one
2: thing that never crossed my mind was the dark side, seedy side of massage therapy that never entered my mind at all about any of it. I always saw it as being um, you know, a regulated uh health profession. I only ever saw the medical side about it and the fact that people were coming to me with conditions and injuries and things that the Cairo was able to treat, but I'd be able to treat alongside. So I saw massage and Cairo as equal players in the medical community at that point. So that's why I jumped into it.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think it's also the exposure. Like he said, he his right. first introduction to massage therapy was as a patient. And I mean, also having family members in the medical community made him look at things a little bit differently, right? When you have an injury and you realize this is something I need, then you tend not to think of it as a luxury. Like I, we were talking about on the last episode, right, you right, said right. to me, what do you wish that the public knew more about massage? And so I don't know if you agree with this, Robert. I said, I think actually the public knows more about massage than we give them credit for. But the one thing is I want people to get this out of their mind that it's this luxury thing that it's only for like a special treat versus a, a tool that they should be using or could be using to help better themselves and their health and their well-being versus you know i'm gonna go spend three hundred dollars on a spa day because i deserve it i mean you do deserve it and go do that but use yeah us I, too. I
2: agree completely i've got uh, i've got a majority and you guys probably have this also where you'll have people that will come to you and say um you know You've ruined massage for me because (laughs) I come and see you because like I said, like, like, like you said, they, they need it in order for maintenance of their life, their stress, uh, their workplace, you know, whatever job they're doing, they need us or they, they come to us on a regular basis for, for maintenance. But then they go on vacation, they go on a stay, get or a stay, they go to the spa, they get a treatment and then they come back to us and they're like, that was just like shit. Like, they didn't get into anything. All they did was, like, massage my skin and fat. Like, at least you get into all the stuff.
1: I try to tell them, like, but isn't that nice sometimes? And they're like, it just felt like I just gave them money. Like, it's true. Once they start getting, like, once people start getting regular massage treatment and therapy, then, yeah, when they go get, like, a a generic type of treatment from somewhere then they're not or just super get satisfied or just get moisturized right. i mean I, i've had that experience. the spots that i don't i can't hit <laughs> <laughs> well i've had and that I- <laughs> experience myself as a patient man like i've gone to places and i'm expecting you know a certain level of treatment and i'm like "Mm, i don't feel like they did anything and it's super disappointing so the
0: goal here is to come to ontario is it to be licensed in ontario and then and then when you get to bc just kind of apply to the college there because you're licensed in ontario or is it to take your education and then just apply that to the college in bc what's the plan
2: yeah it was it was to go get the education um I only had enough money. Like I had no money. Like I had an allowance of $350 a month oh. and my rent was 300. Oh, um, so the goal was to, to go to Ontario, get educated, come back to BC, write BC boards. Um, and then see what happens. I had, um, halfway through that process of being in massage school, I thought, you know, maybe I do get registered in Ontario because maybe I do want to come back here and do the chiropractic thing. Mm. So, um, so yeah, got educated in Ontario, um, got registered in BC, which was extremely difficult. Uh, the board exams were so hard at that point. Uh, and then the following year I came back to Ontario and got registered there also. Oh, nice. Uh, and then I, I maintained my registration in Ontario until, uh, until the CMTO started doubling, tripling, quadrupling their inactive status uh, payments. <laughs>
1: Uh-uh. Like they just did to us again.
2: I know. I saw that, right? It's, it's like insane. 500 bucks for like an inactive it's insane. status? It's, it's insane. Like, yeah. Are you kidding me? It's, it's, it's just information that sits on a server on a server farm somewhere. It's disgustingly insane. Yeah. That, that's actually when I jumped out is when they, they went from $50 to $200. I'm like, that's just a money grab. That's all it is. I'm not doing that. I
1: would happily pay the 200 now, but 400 was it $458 something or bad. something like that to be inactive? I was considering going inactive next year because I've been well, working. So hard with Mark and, you know, in the con ed business and the massage therapy media business. And, you know, now we're involved in the conferences. Like we're, we're doing so many things that my patients are really getting pushed to the back burner. I'm referring them to other therapists. So I thought, well, maybe I go inactive for a year and reevaluate. But then I'm looking at Mark, yeah. like, why would Just I pay so much money to not be able to work? Even if I treat the bare minimum next year, it, it might as well... Yeah. I might as well just be active.
0: So what's your first move when you, when you, when you move back and you've got your, you apply, you do your licensing exam, you're successful, you become registered in BC. What's the first move? Like, How do you jump from your first job, which you're going to tell me about, to I'm on planes, landing places, teaching people stuff? Like, How does this go?
2: Um, I got into a clinic that had uh, two female therapists that they'd been practicing. They graduated together. They'd been practicing for a decade. So I was like, oh my God, this is like, I hit the money pot, right? Like they've been practicing for a decade. I'm going to learn so much from these two. And I did, it was absolutely a fantastic place. Um, But then things just kind of got stale. I had an opportunity to uh, jump in and be a half partner in a business in another location. So I did that. That was a whole learning experience. Um but the one thing the one thing um, that sort of piqued my interest was that I had a number of patients coming in with like frozen shoulder and knee injuries and things like that. And the techniques that we've been taught about how to access joint joint capsules, ligamentous tissues, and work with that with the musculature and retrain gait and that, that stuff, it just it didn't seem enough knowledge. So then I started taking a ton of, uh, post-grad courses, um, CEC courses. We had, uh, we had to get, I think, 24 credits every two years in BC. And I thought, well, that's just the bare minimum. So there were years where I had like 300, like, uh, mm. this year alone, I've got 150 credits. Wow. Um, so I just started taking a ton of courses to try and find solutions in order to, um, fit my patients and then when I couldn't find it through massage therapy, CECs, then I would look at, you know, physio courses or chiro courses. I would try to get into those, but they wouldn't let me in because you're just a tiny massage therapist. Um, and then I just started grabbing books and uh, anything online that I could get or CDs, DVDs, uh, mainly about osteopathy, because that's where um, a lot of the information was. So that sort of was the the jumping point into learning about joints, joint capsules, ligamentous tissue, mm-hmm. uh, learning about ligamentous articular strain technique from uh, William Sutherland and uh, Andrew Taylor Still. It's their techniques. And then advancing it from that. Right.
1: As somebody who takes tons of continuing ed... Um, how do you decide who you want to learn from like how much research and thought do you put into what courses you're going to take cuz there's a lot of continuing ed providers and the truth is that it it's not super it's, it's not regulated right anyone can kind of teach something how do you decide like this makes sense to me do you have to actually go sit in the class and critically think through it? Or did you do a ton of research and background on the course and the person beforehand?
2: Well, at that point, there, there weren't a lot of courses. And it was just, you know, you took whatever you could that was out there at the time. Um, I would sit and look at my patient list and say, Okay, what what am I needing to learn? Because what I'm currently doing isn't helping these people as much as what I think they could receive. And I'd look for a course in that. So I took a course in, um, uh, there's a a, a gentleman, Mike Dixon out here, who's been practicing for like 30 plus, almost 40 years. Uh, He was teaching an arthrokinetics course, which was basically spinal orthopedics and regional orthopedics. And again, it was one of those things that I didn't get taught when I went to school. We got taught a little bit, but not to the degree that he got, he was teaching. So I took all of his courses. Fantastic. Changed my practice. Changed how I approach my patients. It was amazing, and that's how at that time I chose courses. What was going to change my practice? What was going to improve my education so I could help somebody else? Now, um, now it's it's really difficult trying to figure out a course to take because the the narratives and the terminology of how we do stuff has changed, mm-hmm. and we have a lot more research and science and education. It's educated us about you know, I mean, the physiology and, and what the actual processes were rather than theories and hypotheses back in the day. And there's a lot of instructors that have advanced and jumped and that's where they are. But there's a lot that still teach a very mechanical, the body is a car, it needs an oil change, and it needs a wheel alignment. Which, you know, in some instances it does, but for the majority of the time it doesn't. Um, so it's it's hard to try and choose uh and it's and, and also you you take you bring ego into it and like there's I did a provincial instructor diploma course which teaches you how to teach your profession so it breaks it down into how to develop a lesson plan, how to develop uh content, how to how to write questions and answers for exams. It it's the whole thing and it removes your ego from the equation and it basically educates you that there are specific adult learning styles. And if you only teach to your style, you're missing 75% of the class. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you have to structure your courses to hit all of the adult learning styles or as many as possible. Well, that completely removes ego. And there's a lot of instructors where they still only teach from ego and I just won't take their courses.
0: I would still take their courses. I take courses differently. Well, one, I don't take tons of courses because I I don't like sitting in a classroom full of people because I'm I'm an introvert and I fucking hate people. Right, <laughs> that's the biggest reason. So, but if I find something of interest, I'll contact the person who is who who does the course and I'll be like, can, can we hang out? Pretty much, and then and then it turns into us doing a one on one or you know just sharing ideas, and that, that's how I
2: roll with it. I have actually done that recently. I've taken a couple of courses, and I knew that the instructors were sort of they had a bias or an ego of some kind and i thought okay well let's just let's just go take the course let's yeah, see if i'll let's, learn anything let's And see what happens yeah and um yeah it, it didn't go well really eh? but but i but i i learned how i learned how not to do certain yeah, things yeah exactly so, so a-
0: I still walk away even in those scenarios when I'm like eh, I don't know if I'm down with this person or what they're saying or, or or just generally their vibe and I'll still take it I'll still sit into it I'll still contact to do this 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 sit down and then like you said like I'm I'm still learning something regardless right even if what you're spewing to me doesn't make any sense at all but I'm still walking away you know one-up, I feel.
1: Every situation, there's an opportunity to learn because it's it's strengthening your critical thinking skills, right? Every encounter, Absolutely. you're meeting someone, you're like, what are you actually saying? And in what context? Because a lot of people like to spew a lot of information. As you said, Robert, terminology has changed. The way we approach patients has changed. We no longer look at things completely mechanically or, you know, we understand that there's an integrated approach that has to be taken. So every time I meet someone who is spewing facts from what sounds like a, a very, very elevated ego. My brain is like in overdrive going like, what are you actually saying? What context are, what context are you forgetting? Like it you learn something no matter what.
0: I, l- I like your approach. And there's only been a couple people on our podcast that have vocalized that that's their approach to continue education, deciding what they're going to take. It, and it, it was never... It wasn't 100% like I want to just learn this or I want to add this to my practice. It was, let me take a look at the people that I serve, recognize that I'm I'm potentially falling short here because of a lack of knowledge and let me fill that in so I can serve the people that are in front of me first Mm -hmm. better. And I think there's only been a couple people here that have said that, which makes me go to the next part, which is... How do you feel about those cats that are like, ooh, I can't get credit for this with my association, so I'm not going to take it? To me, that blows my mind. Yeah, I'm like, this is great, solid information that will make you a better clinician, and you're refusing to take it because you can't get credit for it. And I'm like,
2: where's the priority here? Exactly. Where's the priority here? Um, we're coming up to the end of a cycle. Um, at the end of October and, you know, I'm getting contacted and I see a lot of Facebook posts of, Hey, I need a course that only offers three credits because I'm three credits short and I'll jump in and I'll just say "That
1: only offers three credits. Don't give me more, please.
2: (laughs) So, so I, again, like, like Mark said, I, I come at it from the perspective of here's the value that I'm going to add to your practice and to your patients. Here's the knowledge that you're going to get. Here's my perspective. Here's all the topics that I cover. I'm an open book. I'm going to give you all the research references. It's going to change your practice. Well, How many credits is it? Yeah, it's 10 credits. Yeah, but I don't need those seven. So I only need three. So, so your practice is based on how many credits you get. It's not. It's, it's it's not about the level of education that you can acquire in order to help a person.
1: My brain can only hold twenty four credits worth of information. <laughs> don't you dare we, teach me more things. We
0: purposely do not get approved anywhere. Yeah, like we all the other associations across Canada. Like it's it's not a difficult process to get approved. It's not a difficult process to get your stuff approved in the states. We purposely do not do that. I'm like I don't want cats sitting in in our courses that are only here for you know a certain number of credits I want you to take whatever we're throwing out because it's of interest to you you find it valuable and so we just don't even bother I'm like fuck that
1: but it makes for a really enjoyable experience like we don't teach we don't teach to 50 plus people Robert like we have a classroom that holds maybe 24 but we like it that way we like having more intimate groups where you know we can be one-on-one so usually it's just mark if we do have a class that's up to the 24 people I'll come in and I'll help them out and TA a little bit but it's every single person in that room wants so badly to learn the material and we know that they have no other reason they have to be here right there's no credits they need to get we're not approved anywhere so they want to learn from us and yeah I feel like it's been much more enjoyable in the last few years where there isn't any any CEU values or anything.
0: Yeah, when the College of Massage Therapists of Ontario, when they dumped their their idea of their continuing education cycle in 30 credits in three years, first we thought, holy fuck, we're screwed because oh, yeah, our, we were scared. <laughs> our business model is based on unique credits, we supply a lot of credits. And then uh, we surprisingly saw like, oh, business did not dip. Business actually, business actually tilted upward. Yeah. And uh, it has been a much more enjoyable experience since that happened.
1: Much more enjoyable. We actually have a course evaluation that we used to give out at the end of every one of our courses I don't know if you've ever done this with your courses Robert but we have people fill out you know just everything like the instruction the instructor style the materials used like just what they thought and how we could improve and like we would take that and we would change up the delivery of our courses but one of the questions on there was would you take this course if you didn't need continuing education units like we just genuinely wanted to know, like, are you here because you want to be here or are you here because this course is worth 10 credits?
2: Yeah, I know that, you know, there's lots of pictures of me teaching like big, huge classes in Australia and in Scotland and, and whatever else. But that's like international stuff. Right. So so it, it's no different here when an international instructor comes, the yeah. course has got 300 people. Oh, in, of course. Right? Yeah. But but for but for my for my courses, I teach uh, I teach one course um, every second month. Um, the way that I, that I did it, that I'm going to go back to, um, I did it for about three or four years was that, uh, I promoted it as this is going to be a year long group. So I'm only taking 10 people. We're staying together for the whole year for all the courses. This is how it's going to be laid out. Um, there will be, you know, a very structured section of the course on the day of we're gonna do these techniques, but we're gonna talk about this stuff. But then we're also gonna have time for the group to communicate with one another about here's the problems I'm having in my practice, you know, here's my self-limiting beliefs, you know, go through some personal development sort of shit also to help the business. Um, and that really sort of like changed everybody's practice. And it was sort of like a study group. And I I've been fortunate to be in a couple of study groups that lasted like three and four years at one point, and they were amazing. My courses that I teach now because of COVID and stuff, um, well, actually, no, throw COVID out, uh, but my courses are all like around 10. I get 10 people, maybe 15 at mm-hmm. the most, mm-hmm. and then I cut it off because at 15, I can hit everybody. I've got the whole day. It's great. But if I'm doing like 30 or 40 um, I can't, I can't give that personal attention that I want to give.
1: Yeah.
0: So how do you go, how do you go from, I'm working in my clinic. I had the opportunity to go partner on another clinic. How do you go from that to, you know, the courses and the book and the, the, you know, I, like I said, you know, teaching, teaching all over the world. How does this go? How does this happen for you?
2: Well, I was, well, because I was teach I was taking all of the, the con ed stuff. Um, and I was educating my patients cause that's what I was doing regardless Uh, I had a number of uh, patients that were actually RMTs. So I was, I was doing the ligamentous articular strain technique in my four little walls for like a decade. No one knew about it. I just, I just wanted to hone it and get that down. Um, But I was also educating patients along the way. So I had a number of RMTs that said, you should go teach. This is amazing. We never learned any of this stuff and you, the way that you verbalize it and the way that it comes across, you should go do this. So um, I did an interview with West Coast College. They were looking for instructors at the time. Um, a good friend of mine that I graduated with, Chris Hagee, he runs the uh, somatic exploration out here. It's a uh, private cadaver dissection lab. It's amazing. Mm. Uh, you guys should talk to Chris. He's fantastic. Um, I went and I interviewed and they said, yep, sure. Come teach. So we started, you know, teaching in the clinic, clinic supervision, uh, supervisor's role, and then just gradually got into teaching all the different classes, took the PID program. Uh, and then I probably taught almost everything at West Coast except for like pathology and physiology, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually that led into, I think I, I, think I left West Coast in, the end of 08 so i was there for about eight eight years um i think it was in 2010 that uh a friend of mine said you know what's your exit strategy and i'm like what's an exit strategy (laughs) i'm doing this until (laughs) i die right (laughs) i'm not why would i stop this this is awesome it's like well at some point you're gonna have to like slow down a little bit it's like why would i want to slow down i didn't see the future right right He's like, well, what have you got that nobody else has? I'm like, well, I I do this thing, but I don't think it's anything special. You know, I just do it and it helps people. He's like, okay, well, you should turn that into something. So that's when um, I was looking at the ligamentous pain referral patterns, and I had acquired a ton of research on that. Um, I had the images created. I created the posters. And then when I was, at a, I was at a conference somewhere and somebody said, you know, if if you had this as a book, I would buy it. And I'm like, I don't even know what that looks like. Hmm. I couldn't even tell you. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how it got started. People were interested in uh, the ligamentous articular strain technique. I thought, okay, well, let's, let's write a course manual. Let's see if it gets accepted. And it got accepted by the RMTBC or the the CMT, CMTBC. And all I thought was, okay, great. Now I'm like everybody else. So what? Hmm. Okay, well let's let's submit it to the Chiro's. Let's submit it to the naturopaths. Let's submit it to the physios. The physios were the only ones that didn't accredit it. And then I thought, okay, well, great. Now I've got it approved in BC. Let's go to let's go across Canada. Let's submit it to everywhere. Let's just see if it would. I just wanted to see if it, if they liked it, and if they didn't like it, well then, like you guys said, you you get your recommendations. You pivot. You adapt. You change. You you improve. Um, but yeah, it got approved all across Canada and then, you know, social media, people see you, they contact you. Hey, would you like to come to Scotland to teach? Sure. Okay. I don't know what you guys know over there. So what the hell? Yeah. People are, people are hurting over there. They've got discomfort. They've got, you know, dysfunction. I got to help those people. Mm. And then that just morphed into, you know, online stuff. And the online stuff has been amazing because, you know, you guys probably get this also where you'll get an email. Like I got an email from um, a therapist in India. And he said, you know, I, uh, I signed up for your shoulder online course. And I was going to the big family weekly supper. And I got to the supper and I learned that my grandmother had fallen down the stairs. And she's in her 80s. And she hurt her shoulder. So I grabbed my iPad. I logged onto your shoulder course. I followed along the techniques with my grandmother. She had a pain-free, wonderful supper. Thank you so much for that. Wow! Like that—that's why we do this, right? Like that's why the hard work goes into it, so that you can you can affect somebody else's quality of life somewhere else in the world that you're never going to meet.
1: So I've listened to you teach just, in, um, you took part in um, our charity conference l- last year. It was last year, last March. So yeah, that was in, awesome. You
2: should do that again.
1: We, we will do that again. We will do more for sure. But that was the first time I'd ever actually heard you teach. Like you said, I've seen you online. I've seen, but that was the first time I listened to you teach. And it seems like m- the majority of the time, your courses, your book, everything is very, very well received. Do you get criticism for the stuff you do, and how do you deal with that? Like, from I assume, if you did, it would be from the RMT community. Are there, are there any, uh, is there any negative feedback that you've gotten about all of the stuff that you've been doing?
2: Oh yeah, there's haters. We all have our haters.
1: I got a lot. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, I almost and, spit and up my there, coffee. <laughs> there's always haters. Um, uh, you know how i again how i word stuff and the terminology that i use has changed from the very first shoulder course that i ever put out um so i actually kind of want to go back and reshoot all the shit that i've put out previously just to update it and improve it um but a lot of the haters they they call you on that kind of stuff right or they they pick apart the tiny little things that you know are kind of missing that you didn't throw in because for whatever reason, um and it used to it used to really sort of eat away at me at one point. But then I was listening to some personal some development stuff because uh, I, I listened to a lot of it, and the the term insignificant was was a topic, and I was like, ha, huh. yes, yep, okay. So so really, like I try and have as much respect for. Anybody I meet, regardless of whatever education they have as an r and um, You know, if you're brand new or if you've been out for 40 years, um, you know, I'm going to treat you as I would want to be treated also. And when the haters, you know, disrespect you, it's really, it's disrespectful. So if, if that's the perspective that you're going to come to me with then you are now in a category of insignificance to me so it doesn't affect me anymore i really don't care it's insignificant i have a path i have a plan i'm going in this direction and i've had too many times where what those people have said has actually halted or slowed my progress going forwards and that's not happening anymore because they're insignificant. That's
1: a great attitude to have. Um, I had this discussion with Tara Nicole, um, before because she also is an educator right and she actually stole this from Tom Myers so I mean it's not stealing we're all just going to use it but it yeah. it's the perspective of I am going to share the knowledge that I have from my clinical experience from my education from my background I'm going to share that with you it does not mean this is the be all end all this is another perspective another you know another set of tools to add to your toolkit and Of course, we expect as educators that you're also taking in from your own clinical experience, your own patients. Like Mark said, when you're taking a course, I hope you're taking this course with your practice in mind, right? That you're thinking, how can I use this and integrate it to help my people? It doesn't mean like none of us who work in continuing education, we don't think we're gurus. We don't think that we know everything. Like you said, Robert, we have to remove ego and look at it as I'm sharing what I have used and what has really helped myself and my patients and those who choose to pick apart other educators or authors or other therapists and say, well, where did you get this? And there's no basis for this. And where's the evidence? And they have to be viewed as insignificant because they're missing the bigger picture that we all could just be helping each other. If you think you know something that another therapist doesn't, instead of attacking them, well, let's see if we can share knowledge. Let's talk. Like Mark said, he's always happy. Like people will message him and say, um, I'd love to pick your brain sometime. And I swear to God this happens. He'll say, sure, come on by. And I walk into the office and there's just people sitting here on the couch. Like we've always had an open door policy. You want to come hang out? You want to talk? Come in, we'll talk.
2: Uh, and what's really funny is that a lot of these people, they they criticize you for having, oh, what was what was the term? Um. Uh, it was. It, they they say that you've got a, an education e- empire. You've got an education <laughs> empire, right? I'm like, I'm an empire. This is uh, this is awesome. Right? So they get criti- ridiculed for benefiting from your hard work by charging a little bit of money, you know, in order to pass that information along to somebody that's going to actually benefit from. It. So, so I guess that's called an empire. So I got criticized cool. for that. Yet now, these people have their own educational empire. Empires. And and I got an email from one of them saying, hey, we've got this educational platform that we want you to be a part of. And it's like, you, you, in front of like people on social media, which is international and global and in person, you've called, you know, you've put me down. You've called what I do terrible to the profession. I've been told I should actually rescind my registration because of the content that i put out oh
1: my goodness and
2: now and now you're doing this and you want me to help you it's like um <laughs> you should always be kind to the people on the way up because they're going to be the same people you see on the way down
1: absolutely it
2: <laughs> sure makes me laugh. right so again it, it all part makes of me the laugh. part of the lack of respect and the complete insignificance of these people so just again right You just go forwards. You've got your own plan. You've got your own thing. I want to help as many people as I can in the time that I've got left. I'm not going to stop. This is the direction I'm going. This is the information that I'm putting out in the moment, which will be different tomorrow.
0: I feel like most people that do that, they just one, they just like to hear the sound of their own voice. They just like to flap their mouth, and like you said, insignificant. They'll give it a go doing what you're doing, and that'll go away within five years because they're going to realize this shit ain't easy doing what you do. Oh yeah, when
1: people get mad about us making money for teaching, like, do you have any idea how much we fucking work? Like, it is not, we show up and and talk, you know? This is
0: the Nickelback (laughs) Syndrome. Yes, everybody. Yeah. You, you get a little bit of success there because of the hard work that you do and then everybody wants to throw something at it but at the end of the everybody day everybody
2: in BC hates Nickelback for some reason I don't know but why but
1: then how are they so successful how the fuck do you it's sell a lie. millions it's
0: of albums <laughs> how do you sell millions of albums and sell out stadiums constantly and then write yeah. hit after it's not easy to write a fucking hit song that stays on the charts for a very long time yeah. there's a certain you know, level of skill that's there that just gets shade and on. they're writing
2: songs that other people people are using that you never know that Nickelback ever wrote. Absolutely. Right? You always, right? So, It's yeah, the Nickelback it's syndrome. Just, yep. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'm glad everybody, me,
1: at all of us, and I, I hope I other, edu- I hope hate, other educators as well, though, can have this attitude of insignificance. You know, when somebody is coming at you, you have to look at, like, what robert said they they tend to nitpick on the small things and disregard the bigger picture like everyone suddenly becomes an extremist when it comes to certain things it's like well you're forgetting this 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 this, this and i'm like okay but what i'm speaking about right now is this small little piece of our profession, so why am I going to include all of this other stuff? Like, we're taking a course, like, let's say we're talking about the shoulder. Well, you're forgetting about this, this, this. Well, I'm not talking about that. We're talking about the shoulder. Can you all just chill for a minute? It's not that I'm disregarding all this other information, but that's not the purpose of this talk. I had someone come and literally, like, almost attack me after a a talk at an expo. You forgot all of this stuff.
0: That is someone that is not interested in what you're saying. They're not interested in the content. They're waiting and just sitting back watching. How can I poke holes in whatever's happening yeah. here? Right. They're not they're...
2: that's what I say to them. I say, Where's your stuff?
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> how many hours, how many hours a week do you put into did you put into that thought? Right? Where's your backup? Where's your research? Because I can tell you, I'm up at six thirty in the morning and I work on all of my contents until about ten thirty, eleven o'clock, and then I go and I treat patients. So yes, I I'm an author, I'm a researcher, I'm an educator, and I'm also a therapist. I still treat. I'm also a patient, so I'm still getting treatment myself. So, where's your stuff?
1: Yeah. It's interesting. And then
2: they and then what they do is they they always pivot the conversation and they go off on a different tangent. It's like, "No, no, let's come back to the, where's your stuff." Right? It just shuts it down. It's really interesting. Like I uh-
0: I would so much rather a, a thank you <laughs> for for doing something a little bit different for doing something that is helpful to some people. It's not helpful to everybody, but it's helpful to some people and if it's not your cup of tea, just who cares? Just
1: just Yeah, that's just, what I think people forget. You don't have to you don't have to buy into everything. Not everything is going to resonate with you. It's but not supposed if, if, to. Exactly. It's not, it's not supposed to. We're all different people. We're all different therapists. So if you are scrolling social media and you see one of Mark's courses or one of Robert's courses and you're like, this is crap. Guess what? You have the power to keep scrolling and not interact with these two educators but that you don't the, agree with their stuff. But when you
0: do, like, I mean, you can interact all you want, but at the end of the day, you kind of look silly, right? You, you, you look silly when, when, you, when, when you're interacting... A, in a in a certain way yeah but what do i know man i got a fucking podcast right just one
2: thing shit. i always <laughs> one thing i typically do is when when they poke a hole in something that you know they think that i should be teaching that i'm not teaching i will then sit there and say you know what that is a great remark I know that Mark and Amanda teach a course on this exact subject, and they're fantastic at it. That's why I don't teach it, because they do it better than I do. Absolutely. You should go take their course.
1: I love referring people to other, because, okay, for example, Mark teaches an athletic taping course. Not going to be everyone's cup of tea, right? Not everyone cares about athletic therapy, period. So when we have people say to us, you guys should teach, um, like, k-tape k-tape courses we're like but there's so many people who do that so then we give them a list of educators who teach k-taping we're like it's not us we're not going to we teach athletic taping you might not love it but here go to these other people i took an
2: athletic taping course from um uh a cat uh out here who who was uh, a cat for the bc lions Mm -hmm
1: that shit's hard man. i hate it i hate i'm not even gonna lie i hate it
2: taping is hard and like and like he's like okay so we we get taught you know and and we have time limits on yeah. how long it takes us to tape something because we got to get them off you the field get, exactly. and time is taken in this yep. commercial he's like i should be able to tape an ankle in like 30 seconds or 20 seconds or something and we're like really he's like yeah watch this and it was like warp speed just yep. rip tear rip tear rip tear and it was like done and I'm like that was 19 seconds he's like okay so then i keep my job yeah like Let, that shit's hard it it's, is so it's hard insane.
0: i remember when, when i i first took athletic taping when i was in the sport therapy program at york university and our instructor is an athletic therapist he's like for your exam you can't put down the tape at all. You you're expected to have all the tape in your hands constantly, right? Yeah. And he's like, if you put down the tape, I'm gonna come swipe it from you. You know how many people ended up with zeros because within the first, you know, couple seconds of doing their tape job, they laid down the tape to do some stuff, swipe their tape and they're just staring at him I'm like, dude, what are you doing? It's my test. He's like, mm too bad. Now you have zero. Well, this is a (laughs) true story,
1: Robert. Mark was the teacher. So um, any of the courses here at Con Ed that I have nothing to do with, at one time or another, I will sit in because I'm like, even though I don't teach it, I don't instruct, I feel like I should have knowledge of everything. So I will literally take all of our courses so i came to take the athletic taping course mark will tell you halfway through day one i actually had tears my fingers our hurt fingers so bad are. and i like i was actually crying i'm like i don't ever want to do this ever again i quit i'm going home
0: i was so mad i'm looking forward to teaching that in edmonton that's,
1: yeah that's we're teaching up. that in edmonton next week oh my yeah, god i i say that's we awesome. i'm going to ta and i don't know why or how because i fucking hate taping i mean in theory i know what the tape jobs are supposed Supposed to look like. I'll let Mark do the demos. (laughs) Don't
2: put your tape down.
1: I will not put my tape down. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so scared
0: for this. So what's what's next on the hit list, my friend? You seem to have done a shit ton of everything. Where where are we going with this? What's your what's your exit strategy?
1: I'm
2: not stopping. There's been I've had a number of events in my life that I probably should not be here right now. Actually, Hmm. so you know every every moment is just an opportunity to influence somebody or improve somebody's life and make a difference in somebody's life so i'm not stopping
0: did any of those events like the car accident make you just want to go fuck it
1: all fuck all of doesn't this doesn't look that way um
2: no you know what it was going through the accident when i was when i was off work because i was off for i went back too soon um and i went back because there's just that drive and and manual therapy to me is, you know, the the physical contact, um, and, and that sort of relationship with, with that therapeutic relationship with the patient, it's kind of addicting, right? Like I, I got to touch somebody and, um, yeah, it kind of, it kind of just increased the drive Mm -hmm. to help people. It's like, okay, so, so this is what this feels like while I was actually sitting in the car and waiting for EMTs to show up and stuff. And, you know, like literally sternal uh, ribs, one through 10 sternochondral, costochondral costovertebral, vertebral and 10th rib were completely displaced and comminuted fractured. Wow. So I'm feeling all of that, but while I'm feeling all of that, I'm ripping through all the research on the ligament pain referral patterns for all the facet joints and the all, all of the, 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 uh, the tissues and like, wow, they actually got it right. This is real. was correct. (laughs) Holy shit. Yeah. Oh yeah. It does hurt there. Oh yeah. It does hurt there. It's like, that is the referral. So I'm running through all the referral patterns in my head and, um, yeah, it just kind of drove, it just kind of improved the drive to, to do more actually. Um, so there's, there's actually about three other books that haven't been, haven't been completed yet that, that are in process. Um, the RMTBC has got their first symposium in two years because of COVID. So it's a, a research and rehabilitation symposium. Mm-hmm. They put out a call to the membership saying, Hey, if you have any research, like case studies, or if you've done any research projects that are either published or unpublished, um, if you want to submit your abstracts, submit an abstract. So I submitted three because why not? Mm-hmm. So, um, They got back to me and they're like, okay, so now we want your introduction, your observations, your methodologies, you know, the review, the, um, the conclusion and the discussion. So send us that stuff. So I sent them all that and they got back to me. They're like, okay, we like all of it. So all three are accepted. So build your poster and get it to us. Wow. So I, I just completed all three research posters this weekend. Um, They're all laid out. They're all at the printer right now. Um, They have to be at the RNTBC by Friday. So, and it's, it's, it's not research on the technique. It's not ego research or anything. It's all just, it's basically, it's reviewed research. So it's, it's, it's a, it's three research packages that consolidate information into a local place, Mm -hmm. a local database, which hasn't been done before. And all of this information is just like, it's scattered everywhere else. Um, the only people that really probably get this information are um, regional anesthesiologists and maybe chiros. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's everywhere. It's not consolidated into a local place. So I, so that's what I did. Um, I grabbed the neurological innervation for all the joint capsules, and ligamentous tissues for the whole human body, every joint. I consolidated that into a database. So that's one research project. The next one is that you guys will notice is that there's a ligamental muscular reflex that occurs. So there's a monosynaptic and a polysynaptic pathway that occurs quickly and for chronic issues. So I wanted to grab the research that documented which ligaments are connected uh, through that monosynaptic polysynaptic pathway to which muscles. And is it um, an inhibition or a stimulation that occurs or a co-contraction that happens So I've documented all of that. And then the uh, pain referral patterns. We've got all the research. It's not my ego. It's not coming from me, making up shit that doesn't exist. It's all documented research. If you don't like it, go talk to the researchers. Mm. Um, And and that information is in the book. And it's also one of the research papers. So those are my three posters that I'm presenting on, um, on September 9th.
1: Nice. Wow. Where do you get this? drive this motivation from like I'm listening to you and I'm exhausted thinking about the amount of work that went into this like honestly where do you get this drive because you could like you're successful as a therapist you're successful as an educator you could just go about your life and do what you do in your quote empire but you're <laughs> continuously putting this research together to help better the profession and help other people and and uh, simply why
2: Um, well that's that That is actually personal development one on one is what is your why,
1: yeah,
2: right so so actually, so here's a little bit of personal development, I don't know if your listeners have done this, probably nobody's done this, maybe you guys have or you haven't, but there's there's the seven questions of why, so you know why do you want to do this? Well, you know, I want to help people, okay, well, that's a nice bedtime story, but why do you want to help people,, yep. and then you go on from there, okay, well, I want to help people because you know, they're injured and they hurt and they have dysfunction and it's, it's a terrible quality of life and so on and so forth. Okay. But why do you want to help those people? So when you go through all seven of those and it's not going to happen in seven minutes, you're not going to get through all those questions right away. Some of these questions, the answers, it might take you like 18 months to figure the shit out. Like you have to do a dark, deep dive into your soul to figure out what your why is. Mm -hmm. So you know verbalizing that why that's an emotional thing kind of you know you're in the fetal position with a box of Kleenex in a corner you know this is my why right so uh i figured that out and this and that and that's the driving force for for going forwards
0: so i'm going to ask you this then because i've done i've done a similar deep dive on myself because i just like to know myself and i want to know because on some level it has to be there how important is it for you at this stage that you are well known in the RMT community? Because you are, and you've reached a certain level, and along with that certain level is going to be the drive to stay at that level or you know top yourself, and I'm curious as to how much of that plays into the mix for you.
2: You know, in all honesty, that, that whole being recognized and being in the public... And being known, um, that's never, that's never been it. Is there any pressure at all, though, to
0: be like only on,
2: only on myself. Yeah. Only on myself. Um, you know, I, I, um, I went through a period when I was a clinic owner and I was managing some RMTs and I was, I was just furious and angry and frustrated. With the, the way that they were managing their own practice
0: mm.
2: within, within the business. And, and I was, I was talking with my father one day and, um, you know, he was a, he was a police officer for, uh, forever. Right. And, uh, we were having lunch and he said, you know, this, this is going to, this is going to kill you. What you're doing to yourself right now. You need to stop. Placing the level of expectation you have for yourself mm-hmm. on others,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you need to stop that because that's going to kill you. So, whatever level of expectation you have, you just have to, you know, not put it on others. So, um,
1: this sounds very familiar. What I say to you all the time, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Mark places so much. Pressure on himself, and I call it perfectionism, but it's not. It's way beyond it's a that. Psychological it's, it's not perfectionism. <laughs> what it is, but he has a certain expectation of everything he does, which is, you know, if that works for him, fine. But it's more so than when other people are not really living up to that. I have to remind him, like, this is this is the way you do things. Majority of the world doesn't function this way, you know. And as he's asking you this question, is there ever a pressure to sort of stay at this level or or surpass? it because you're already there. Um, I think for him, it might be there because he's, you know, he really is, uh, I, I call it hard on himself. And again, I'm not using the right words, but I always say to him, like, why do you, why are you so hard on yourself? And I have none of that. I feel like if tomorrow, um, everything that I've done, like sort of comes to a stop and I, I shift gears and I, maybe I do something else. Maybe I decide, forget it. I'm not working. I'm going to go be a stay at home mom and be with my kids all the time it still doesn't take away from everything I've done and contributed up to this point. And I don't feel like I've let anyone down and I haven't let myself down. I don't feel like it's the same for you two guys, but that's, that's where well, I would be. Well,
0: because I'm fucking real with my, not that you're not, but I'm real with myself. And I, I now know myself enough to realize a driving force for me is, can I do it better than I did last time? can i do it better than i did last yeah. time and if i do, it's like it's and I'm, I'm i'm not saying like i'm a musician that puts out a hit but can you imagine the pressure that a musician has from a number 1 hit that stays on the charts and then they're like now i'm back in the studio I gotta fucking top that, not just for me, but the record label needs that too. It's like it, it, all of this stuff, and for, it's 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 because like, psychologically, I'm not right that way. <laughs> it, it basically, it's what it
2: is. Neil Pert, right? Yes, exactly. He didn't, really, didn't really care about the the management or anything else. It was it was his personal level of expectation. Every time he played whatever song. It had to be perfect.
0: But but you also can't deny that buried deep down inside of there is is the, I, 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 I want to blow minds a little bit. And if I don't blow minds, if, if I'm not 100% on, then I'm not blowing minds. And part of it is you want to blow minds. Now, for me, it's not I want to blow minds. And I thought about this and it came out on a podcast the other day when we were talking. It's, I really like the idea that somebody else is listening to what we're doing and we are doing things the way we want to looking the way we do sounding the way we sound I feel like I look great I don't know what right? you're talking about and you're <laughs> awesome and, and it's still and it still gets it still gets a, a decent amount of acceptance and for me, that's that's one of the, the the missions that I feel like I'm now on is to be like, yo, man, you can do things however you fucking want. You don't have to you don't have to conform to whatever this is here. Yeah. Because, look, I'm just doing whatever the fuck I want to do here. And it seems to get traction right? And yeah, it's work that I got to put into it. But nonetheless, I'm not conforming to whatever else you think I got to do. I'm just doing it the way I feel, you know, deep down in my soul is how I how it needs to go. I will say and, that and part it ge- feels good.
1: It feels it good feel to come to work and not feel like I'm put in a little box with all these rules. Like Mark and I come in here and like he said, I we come in here and we do what we want the way we want. And it is nice to know that other people appreciate the amount of work we put in, even if it doesn't look the a certain way. But it's not, it, it, yes. And it's not even just the amount of
0: work. I also love the messaging is like, just do what you want to do and be, be authentic to yourself. Yeah. And good things will happen for you for that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what yeah. I mean? That's, that's, that's a big part of it.
2: And that's, you know, like when the haters come up to you and, and they're in your face talking to you, it's like, you know what i would love for you would be for you to take all of that passion that you have for the subject matter that we're currently talking about and i would love for you to be the expert in that you should go and do that because i would refer to your course if you you know had the same level of you know drive and influence that you want to have and and as as i do Yeah, like if you if you had a positive outlook and you really wanted to help people with that information, that would be awesome. You should go do that. That
1: would that would require them having that why of wanting to help people. And sometimes I think if all of these quote haters that we've been calling them actually took the deep dark dive into themselves, is there why for attacking other people because they want to help people? And no, it's absolutely not.
2: See, and that's it. When you when you figure out what your seventh why is. Then you don't attack other people. Yeah. You focus on yourself. You focus on helping as many people as you can. You have an an amazing level of respect for whatever level of work somebody has put into something. It may not be to the level that you would have put into it. Like You you may stay up for three days in order to get it done when they put in three hours. Okay, well, if that's the best that they could do at that time and that's all they wanted to do and they accomplish it, well, then great. If for them. But I'm not going to put them down for that. Mm. Um, there was, there was, um, we like watching on Netflix, we rewatched the chef show, right? With, um, uh, Jonathan, what's his name that, that shot all the Marvel movies and Roy Choi, the, the, uh, the chef. Mm. And they were talking about, uh, there was an episode where they were talking about a food critic. And he would just go and like he would make or he could he can make your your life like right, right, uh, right. there were restaurants that were putting out amazing food and he would give them a referral or a recommendation and then their business would just like explode overnight right but if he went into a place and the food was it was sort of okay it wasn't up to his level of expectation he wouldn't write anything.
0: Hmm. rather than writing
2: a piece that would like completely destroy destroy their business he could tell that they were just doing the best that they could with what they had they were you know helping the people that obviously there were people in there that liked the food if it's not my thing i'm not going to write about it
1: Hmm. i think negative reviews are deserved only when the person who's receiving the negative review is actually doing something unethical or possibly harming people scamming people whatever it is in that case absolutely I'm I'll be the first one to jump on and write a negative review but when I'm reading reviews of whether it's a restaurant a travel destination a hotel or whatever I'm reading it with the eyes of like complainers need to complain and, you know, you have to be able to read between the lines and see, like, did anything really terrible happen here? Or was this maybe just not their cup of tea and they felt like bitching about it online? Because you can.
2: I've had people come up to me with, you know, after purchasing the book and saying, wow, this chapter, I never knew any of this. What, thank you so much for educating me. I was able to actually take this and educate a patient about whatever. And that improved their life. Great. Good. But then I've had other people come up to me and say, well, you know, This is missing and that is missing. You didn't write about this and you didn't write about that. It's like, yeah, because that would have been its own textbook of which there are many. Right. I love it. And I love it all.
1: I know it is. (laughs) You know what, though? It makes for good conversation. And unfortunately, there's always going to be haters. But like I, you know, sometimes my friends will remind me, they're like, yeah, if people hate you, though, because you actually stand for something. I'm like, it's so cliche. But you know what? That's fine. I'll take it. I'm putting myself out there. And that means some people are going to love me. Some people are going to hate me. Some people are going to be indifferent. And most people don't know me. So um, I think this is a good time, Robert, though, for anyone who hasn't, yeah, who hasn't heard of you or who hasn't taken a course or read books or whatever, um, to give out some information about where people can find you, where people can buy your books. I don't even think we mentioned the name of them, so
2: go for it. You know, I'm I'm a terrible marketer, right? And it's <laughs> it's um it's one of those things where it's like you produce something that you you want to educate uh, the membership with and you do that because it's going to help other people everywhere else in the world that are in discomfort and, and uh, dysfunction. But then you feel like a schmuck for trying to sling it. Right.
1: No so, man um, sling away. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> So they anybody that wants the book or the posers, uh, they can go to ligamentpain.com. So there you can uh, find the books. You can find the posters. There's actually a free PDF that everybody should download. It's on the neurophysiological model for referred pain. So that's very important because we all have people that come to us in pain or discomfort of some kind. Uh, so we'll have patients that will say, you know, uh, I did something to my shoulder but now my wrist hurts. I didn't do anything to my wrist, but every time I move my shoulder, my wrist hurts. And every time I move my wrists, my wrist doesn't hurt. Um, and when you work on the wrists, it doesn't really feel any different, but when you work on the shoulder, my wrist feels good. How, how does that happen? And I've posed that question internationally, nationally, everywhere. How does referred pain happen? And uh, the Walt Disney bedtime story theories that are thrown out there are just hilarious. So I actually went to the horse's mouth. I found a uh, a PhD in neurophysiology um, who published an article uh in the Journal of Vermatology of Scandinavia, I think. Uh, and it was the neurophysiological model for referred pain, how referred pain actually occurs in the nervous system. So I wrote that into the book and created the free pdf to download everybody can download it it's right on the front page you'll take it you read it you'll understand it you can print it out to your patient you can hand it to them patient education improves your outcomes so go there do that uh ligamentpain.com and then for any of the live courses or the online courses you can go to lastsite.ca uh i think it's .ca is it .ca or .com i think it's .ca.
1: Oh, I don't have my uh, phone I mean, beside my me. Or I would thing. check. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure to uh, link it.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's L L A S T S I T E. So lastsite.ca. Mark's uh, looking it uh, so up that's, right that's now. So that's the online courses and the uh, the live courses. Um, and that's basically how I got I got contacted to go and teach in Scotland. How I got contacted to go and teach in Australia, which was awesome. And um, and to you know write articles. I've also got an article. Um, uh on respiratory diaphragm so mark has has got the video for the Canadian massage conference that i that i just finished on treating um or information on not treating but information on phrenic nerve and diaphragm and a couple of uh suggestions from research on how to treat more effectively treat uh the diaphragm uh but i've also got an article that was uh published by the Massage and Myotherapy Association in Australia. And that came out this week on uh, respiratory diaphragms. So that's kind
1: of cool. Amazing. Right. Yeah. So for anyone who didn't know, now you know, uh, Robert Libby is going to be joining us virtually for the Canadian Massage Conference. We're really, we're really, really hoping to have you in person, maybe next year. Mm. Um, The conference is back in person this year. So, you know, we really want everybody to come join us in person. If you absolutely can't, we have some really cool uh, presenters online, including Robert. So Mm -hmm. he's given us contact information, check it out. And yes, you can check out that presentation by him at the Canadian Massage Conference this year. And uh, Mark, any other questions that no, you man, have? No, man,
0: this was good. Thanks was thanks good. for hanging out with us this morning. Yeah, this
2: is awesome. Great way to start a Monday. Right
0: on. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. purse.